Welcome to the Magnum Rewatch Podcast. My name is Graham. And I'm Kathleen. We are from LoadingReadyRun.com. We are dancers. We are not. Well, we watched an episode of Magnum about dancers. If somebody tries to make me dance, they're like, why is that jellyfish having a seizure? I didn't know they had enough nervous system to have seizures. Should we study this? You do have what is classically referred to as zero rhythm. Yeah, it's a legitimate medical condition. No, Loading Ready Run is a, we're, what do you call us, content creators? YouTubers. YouTubers, game streamers, watchers of Magnum P.I. That's way lower on the list, but it's no less accurate. Mm-hmm. This is the Magnum Rewatch podcast, where we take you back to Magnum P.I. Woo! In specific, we take you back to Magnum P.I. Uh, when did this originally air? 1981? Yeah, uh, December 17th, 1981. This oh, wow. is season two, episode 11, The Sixth Position. Ooh, I wonder if we get a Christmas episode soon. Ooh, that'd be fun. Yes, but this is not about Christmas. It's about ballet. The ballet. In fact, that's where the episode opens, is a rehearsal of the ballet. And because it is a movie and or television series, what is the ballet that we are seeing performed? Why, it is the ballet that you see performed every time they need to show you ballet, because this is the only ballet that people know at Swan Lake. Yes, indeed. They're in mid-rehearsal for Swan Lake, and I assume it's going well? I think it's actually a real show, because there's an audience clapping at the end. Oh, was there? Oh, I missed that. Okay. I guess just because they're rehearsing every other time we see them. Mm-hmm. This is the only time we see them doing an actual performance. Yeah. That we are told is average, at least by the lead, who is very hard on herself. She yeah. goes off stage and the troop leader is like, great show. And she's like, man, it was average. I respect a perfectionist. We see two men carrying ridiculous flower bouquets come backstage and we can't hear what they're saying, but they talk to the stage manager and they're like, hey, we want to deliver these things to the dressing room. And he goes, all right, sure. So they go into the dressing room. Dressing room number one for Kendall Chase. That's such, that's such a made-up 80s name. I know a girl named Kendall right now. I know, but is her name Kendall Chase? No, but I won't tell you what her full name is because she deserves her anonymity. I know. I'm just saying there's, there are real people named Kendall and there are people with the last name Chase. That's not weird. I just think that Kendall Chase is the sort of name you would expect to find in a series called Magnum P.I. I mean, that's fair. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Kendall, you may recognize. She's played by Andrea Markovici. I don't, actually. Well, previously on Magnum, she played Amy Crane in the episode Don't Say Goodbye with Ted Danson. Oh! Yeah, she was the lead guest star in the episode with Ted Danson, the one that, the one with whom Magnum had had history. I didn't actually recognize her. I'd forgotten completely about that episode except for Ted Danson's bald spot. Well, he's very sensitive about that, I assume. Maybe he's not. Who knows? Anyway. Maybe he just got some Rogaine. Maybe. Anyway, she's back. Not that it matters. It's, again, unlike Judith Chapman in the two episodes she's been in, Andrea Markovici is not playing basically the same character. No, she's playing two completely different characters, actually. Yeah. In fact, she really looks like a dancer in that she is cut yeah she's quite she's very thin she's very muscular yeah which is not bad Uh uh-huh and i assume that either she has some sort of dance experience or they trained her well enough that the ballet things that she is doing in the episode are convincing to our amateur eyes surely if you are actually a ballet dancer and you saw this you would be able to point out some number of flaws but here we are i'm pretty sure i mentioned this last time but i find it entertaining so it bears repeating to me that Andrea Markovici would later play 
a character in an episode of Murder, She Wrote, named Anne Hathaway. Really? Yeah. I just thought that was interesting. I'm just looking up her Wikipedia page. It doesn't mention anything about her dancing. Maybe she's... An actress? Yeah. That's possible. I mean, her ballet dancing was not like stupendous, but she's flexible and, you know, looks like... Like, if you've ever seen a ballet dancer in real life, or if you've never really been to the ballet, just go Google for current ballet dancers. They're very muscular. Oh, yeah. Strong AF. Yeah, you think of it as like, oh, a delicate dance of art, but it's just like, no, these people, like, every muscle in their body works perfectly. It's very impressive. But she's not too keen. As she exits stage to head to her dressing room, where we know that there are two guys who've just dropped off giant things of flowers and not left. But before she goes into her dressing room, she goes to her friend's dressing room. Her friend is getting makeup and stuff and asks Kendall if she has any rouge. Rouge, I think it is. Which is another word for blush. Yeah. And Kendall Chase says that, yeah, she does in her room. So her friend goes into her room and then screams and then they run in. And she says, there was two men in here. One of them had a gun. Womp, womp. And Kendall confronts Lucia but, Prince. Who's like the, the, the troop manager or something. And says that she wants more security. Oh, and a new conductor. And a new conductor, as long as we're talking about it. Well, she gets the more security. Yeah. And when she says more security, we then cut to, of course, Magnum. Who, who is, is rummaging around his apartment. He is tearing it apart. And then he picks up the phone, which is already off the hook, and starts yelling into it for Rick. And we cut to Rick, who's tearing apart his apartment. Rick scrambles back to the phone and says he can't find it. And Magnum's upset because what neither of them can find is a particularly expensive lens belonging to Robin Masters that Magnum has borrowed and that Higgins is, of course, asking for back. Yeah, they say it's worth $3,500. $3,500 in 1981 is fabulously expensive. But that doesn't have time to be resolved now because Higgins needs to see Magnum in the main house as a personal favor to Robin Masters. And so Magnum comes out of the guest house and suddenly there's people there doing ballet On and he gets distracted and sort of turns around while he's walking to the guest house and starts walking backwards and bumps right into Kendall Chase. Just slams right into her. Yeah, she ne- falls over. Neither of them are paying attention. She falls over and breaks her shoe. Well, she breaks the like the ribbon on one of her shoes, and she's really mad. And then she starts yelling at Magnum, and Magnum's like, I gotta go, and I'm sorry, but I didn't see you there, and why should I have expected people to be doing ballet on the lawn? We'll touch on this later, but it kind of felt like Kendall was being maybe a little bit harsh, brusque. Rude. Yeah, we'll go with rude. Bitchy. I mean, I, I didn't want to say it. Magnum goes inside to where Higgins is entertaining... Lucia Prince, who, of course, is a friend of Robin Masters and has asked via Robin for Magnum to be Kendall's bodyguard for pay. He, he would be paid for this, but it's basically he can't say no because it's a personal request of Robin Masters. Robin Magnum. Masters has a lot of friends. I mean, it's kind of a running gag, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's, it's handy. It's just like, well, how do we get this person... How? What does this person have anything to do with Magnum? Oh, uh, something, something, Robin Masters. I'm totally okay with it, right? Like, if you want to start picking apart stuff on that level, it's like, on Star Trek, they made up a thing to explain why the gravity and all the ships o- operate on the same plane, even though they're in space. It's like, okay, this is because a TV series has to operate. Deus Ex Masters. <laughs> sure, yeah. We'll go with that. Magnum's obviously not thrilled about this, mostly because... 
Kendall's kind of mean, but, you know, he'll do it. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't have much of a choice. And uh, he's just allows him to avoid talking to Higgins about the camera because he's now just so busy. So busy with this thing he has to do for Robin and goodbye. Yeah, that's the thing is he borrowed Robin's camera. Fine. But now he doesn't want to return it because he thinks he's lost a $3,500 lens. Yeah. So we cut to Magnum watching Kendall and the other ballerinas rehearse. At a location called the Waikiki Shell, which is a giant amphitheater, and it's really cool looking. It's really cool. And Magnum is there, and then TC and Rick come up, and TC is really mad that Magnum has ditched him. He was supposed to meet TC and play volleyball and just was a no-show. TC rearranged his whole schedule. And uh, he's about to chew Magnum out when Magnum's like, sorry, I gotta guard this ballet person, I guess. And suddenly we realize that TC has an enduring appreciation for the art of ballet. Yeah, Apparently, this will be referenced in later episodes, but Rick refers to him as a ballet maniac, to which TC corrects him, aficionado. TC is a cultured man. Yeah. He hears Lucia Prince as the name that Magnum drops, and he immediately knows who she is and knows her work as leading ballet and asks Magnum who specifically he's watching. Yeah, he's like, I don't know, it's the belletsman in the middle there, and passes TC the... Uh, the binoculars, and TC looks through and sees Kendall Chase and gives the following rundown. She is only one of the world's prima ballerinas. She was a principal dancer with the Giroux Ballet Company. Before that, she was with the New York under Balanchine. She also danced with the Royal, the Bolshoi, the Kirov, and she was the first American to win the international competition in Leningrad. Kendall Chase, ooh... Is the ooh part of it? He has some sort... He's very excited. He makes some sort of mouth sound. Yeah. He's real into it. And we get to have it explained to us that Kendall Chase is legit. It's kind of an elegant way of of, of inserting that in there. Like, it's like, thanks, info tips, right? But, uh, you know, it also develops TC's character. And you've got to reinforce that, you know, she's a very talented ballerina and also a gigantic bee. This is a good way of doing it. TC demands that he go and change before Magnum introduces them. TC so. also offers to help Magnum for free with the case so he can hang around with Kendall. Yeah, that's a first. And possibly an only. So he goes and changes and Magnum introduces them. And TC, who's like, no, no, I, I understand, you know, these dance types. You got to, you know, you got to know how to handle them. And it's real smooth. And it's just like, I saw you do this in San Francisco and you were wonderful. And I really appreciate your artistry or whatever. And she's she's very prepared to... Again, act like a major B, and then it's just like, oh, that's, oh, well, thank you. I hope you can stay and watch tonight. Yeah, she's genuinely uh, impressed and taken aback by his knowledge of ballet and his appreciation for her craft. Mm-hmm. And Magnum's like, what the F? Magnum, by the way, who is also being watched himself through a pair of binoculars by two shady-looking spooks up in the stands who are confused as to who he might be, and they suspect that he's a bodyguard. So they're not that dumb, I guess. They're not dumb, but they are mysterious. And you realize these are the same people that delivered the flowers. Bum, bum, bum. What's going on? Then we have a scene missing, we think. It really feels like there's a scene missing here. Yeah, we suddenly hard cut back to Robin Master's estate. It's clearly the next day, and Magnum is yelling at Kendall because she randomly changed his schedule and didn't tell him. Now, it works. He's referring to stuff that we didn't see happen, being like, look, you can't just do that. And she's like, what do you mean I can't do that? And then he explains, and the referring to stuff that the audience hasn't seen and expecting them to pick it up through the context of the conversation is a good narrative device for presenting stuff, 
that this series basically never employs. Yeah, exactly. Which is why it feels like in like that there's a scene missing. Oh, I, I truly believe there's a scene cut for time in this episode, and that scene was it. Yeah. Because it didn't really add anything to the proceedings, because obviously the episode works fine without it. But then we get to, do the, to this scene where Magnum is yelling at Kendall, and basically he's like, I'm supposed to be guarding you. You have to tell me where you are. And she's like, deal with it. And I'm like, do you want a bodyguard or not? I mean, it's not making her seem like a very sympathetic character, which might just be the point here. Yeah, her her take on it is basically, your job is to be my bodyguard. I'm going to go and do my business regardless, and tough tits if you can't keep up with it, because that's your job. Yeah, except she didn't tell him that she was going to practice at 6 a.m., otherwise he would have been there. Also, she asked for the security in the first place. Yeah, it's very unreasonable. Which makes a forthcoming scene even stupider, but... Anyway, Magnum is so annoyed. He's just like, and like heads back to his, uh, to the guest house and, uh, dodging Higgins once again. Yeah. Well, Higgins chases after him and is like, where's the camera? Give camera. And Magnum's like, uh, I just have to clean it and put the lenses back together, but I'm really busy with this. So I'll see you later. Bye. He's then called down to the King Kamehameha club because Rick has another job for him. This never happens. No, and Magnum's like, I can't do two jobs at the at once. What? What? Huh? Rick, why? And Rick's like, dude, she's going to pay you 750 bucks a day. You have to remember, in the $1981, you got to inflate it by basically a factor of about three, is what we've established previously. Yeah. So. And she's paying a retainer that Rick's already accepted and spent on Magnum's bar tab. Magnum is mad. He's like, you can't accept things on my behalf. You are not my agent. To be fair, I, f- I feel like Magnum's objections are actually totally justified, even if he does owe Rick a huge amount on a bar tab. Now, here's the thing. Even after they get into a bit of a tiff, Rick looks like he's like, yeah, you're right. I can't actually do that for you. That's like super low. Yeah. But, but you have to tell this lady why you can't take her case. Yeah. So he goes over and talks to... Elaine Selmeyer. Who is very sad because she thinks her husband is cheating on her and uh, she really just needs Magnum to look into it. <laughs> Luckily, because TC has volunteered to help out Magnum on the case, Magnum tells TC to accompany Kendall to rehearsal. TC is very happy to oblige. Kendall honestly seems to prefer TC's company. That works out great. And Magnum can spend a couple hours with this lady as she weeps over her philandering husband. By the way, she is played by Corinne Camacho who did a whole bunch of TV guest spots with a semi-recurring role on Medical Center. There's a show called Medical Center? There was in 1971. Wow, I thought we only ran out of medical TV show names recently. No. we there. It was a low bar to start with. Well, I suppose, like, the grandpappy of them all is General Hospital. Yeah, they're not named creatively. Like, honestly, Grey's Anatomy is a really clever name for a TV show because it's like a go-to anatomy Bible. And also a character of the show. Whoa. Ah. Dr. Dr. Meredith Grey, G-R-E-Y, and Grey's Anatomy, G-R-E-Y. The joke is G-R-A-Y. Henry Grey wrote Grey's Anatomy, which is this like... Thank you, Graham. ...go-to of... Thank you. uh, Look forward to the Grey's Anatomy rewatch podcast coming never. Well, I mean, there might be one. Well, yeah, but not from us. If you do a Grey's Anatomy rewatch podcast, okay. (laughs) Back at Robin's Nest, Kendall and Magnum are now enjoying dinner. Enjoying in brackets. Higgins is very pleased because he 
selected the vegetables specifically for their freshness. Well, as opposed to what other criteria do you select vegetables for? Mouthfeel, girth, <laughs> intelligence. <laughs> <laughs> I like to wait until the talent portion before I select my vegetables. They also make a couple of weird references to Kendall's weight. Like Magnum's like, would you like some carrot cake? And she's like, hey, I didn't get to 106 pounds eating carrot cake and then she's like i gotta go walk off these vegetables and it's like i don't find these eating disorder comments kind of i guess that's a different time i don't know i wouldn't say eating disorder comments i just think they're very strange like if somebody said that to you now i did find that after i have to walk off all this broccoli and carrot i ate i I didn't i i didn't the comment on i didn't get to 106 pounds mostly of muscle by the way by eating carrot cake that didn't like strike me as odd but when she was then like i need to go walk off this dinner after turning down the carrot cake right that i found strange it's like no no no. you eat the carrot cake then you walk off the carrot cake you don't need to walk off a fresh vegetable medley i mean maybe higgins put a lot of butter on them i chose these vegetables specifically for the butter absorption qualities i mean he is british Magnum manages to get out of another uncomfortable discussion of the camera by saying that he needs to go make sure that Kendall is okay on her walk around the grounds. Higgins is like, what's what's going to hurt her in the grounds, Magnum? Come on, it's the grounds of the Robin Masters estate. And Magnum replies, I don't know. I have to make sure she's not going to get attacked by some wild beast like a kudu buck. That is, of course, a reference to the episode where there was a goat running around Robin's nest and Higgins went insane thinking there was a kudu on the grounds. Yeah, that was the second episode of this season, Dead Man's Channel. Oh, it seems like so long ago. Yeah. So then, this scene happens. This is the only scene we don't like, really. Yeah, it's a good episode, aside from this scene. I mean, there's other scenes that are fine, and there's some scenes that are good. It just doesn't have a scene to me that stands out, like last episode the scene with uh, higgins and magnum on the on the beach i thought that was really really good i don't think this episode has any standout scenes but this this scene i don't like well this is a standout scene because it's garbage well uh, yeah so they're walking along and they're basically just bickering at one another magnum is saying that she's being hard to work with that it she's annoying and she is replying as she did before that he needs to be better at his job and he needs to respect her as a talent or whatever and so he says well you walk like a duck and that makes her really angry she comes over and puts his feet into that like the ballet position where the heels are together but the toes are apart like out at Basically, so your feet are almost in a perfect line, if that makes sense. It's one of the ballet positions. By the way, the name of the episode, the sixth position, unsurprisingly, is uh, one of the standard ballet positions. The sixth position is the neutral position, where the feet are parallel and adjacent. So, like, standing. Yeah. This is not that. This is one of the other positions. I mean, the sixth position sounds a lot more exotic than standing around normally, so I'll give them that. But anyhow, he says that she walks like a duck. She puts his feet apart. She's like, you try walking like that. Gives him a push. He gives her a push back. She just goes flying. And you're like, Magnum, you, you literally just shoved that woman to the ground. She weighs 106 pounds. You probably weigh twice that. Also, and- she didn't even have carrot cake, so she didn't have anything in her stomach to weight her down. There's no dialogue, but you can tell that he's like coming to the same sort of realization. and Bends over and goes to help her up and helps her up. And then she... In one smooth motion, she stands up, tries to take a swing at him. He ducks and then sort of like flips her over and then they're both on the ground. And then she tries to get on top of him and he gets on top of her. And I'm like, no, 
no, no, no, no, no, because they see what's coming and suddenly they are kissing. And then they have a kiss and then through the restorative power of Magnum's mustache, she's suddenly way nice. Yeah, this is weird. She like opens up to him and she says, you know, how hard it is doing what she does. And she travels all over the world and... And Magnum's like, do you always start relationships like that? She's like, only if I really like people. And it's like... I ne- but I never really have relationships. I have romantic encounters because I'm always... I, I show up, I perform, and then I leave again. Like this guy in Moscow named Steven. He was an American reporter there. He was really nice. But then I had to leave. But then and- I had to leave. And, you know, I kind of miss him a little bit. But now I'm doing this with you because this is just how I operate. And you're like, okay... Did you hit your head when you fell over? It's, it's like, like a 180. For the rest of the episode to work, for the back half of the episode to work, she needs to be on the same side as Magnum. Like, she needs to be nice, basically. And that information about Steve, the American reporter, becomes relevant. So she needs to tell Magnum that. Fine. Just to have her be nice the whole time. You can still have her be, like, serious be and serious dedicated. And, uh, you know, a career minded woman and not have her actively dislike magnum for the first act of this episode i feel like there's like a this might be a different time thing because you have to remember how jay digger doyle was portrayed like if you have like a serious career-minded woman they are portrayed and acted and referred to as massive bitches like there's no middle ground you can't be like a likable person but also very focused on what you're doing because everybody will think you're a bitch so I think maybe that's just 1981 sort of women's role judgments, I guess. Yeah, I guess. But it just feels so weird that she's super consistent the whole episode. Magnum kisses her. And by the way, he kisses her. They do not kiss. He kisses her. Yeah, it's it's not Not great. okay. Don't like it. It's not great. She's affable and telling him stuff and they're rolling around on the grass. And she's cooperating with him. It's so weird. I don't like it. And she's, the thing is, for the rest of the episode, she's really nice to Magnum while still being super career-minded and serious. And it's like, why couldn't you've been that earlier? You literally asked for this. You wanted a personal bodyguard. Anyhow, so they're getting along and having a personality transplanted, and suddenly there's a thump. And a guy falls out of a tree. I'm not kidding. A a man in a suit falls out of a tree. Yeah, it's really weird. Magnum's like, go back to the house. And I'm like, why wouldn't you tell her to stick with you? This is suspicious. You were supposed to be guarding her. He says, in narration, I know what you're thinking. Obviously, the body was a trap, but I felt like it was one of those traps I was going to have to walk into before I could spring it or something. Like I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but it's like, uh, okay, sure. So he walks up and he pokes the body and the body, surprisingly, isn't actually unconscious and rolls over and tries to stab Magnum and Magnum knocks it out. But then a different body who is actually upright and moving. I think it's called a human when oh, it's doing that. A human grabs Kendall and threatens her with a gun and she screams and magnum runs over and tackles the crap out of this guy and she starts screaming for higgins and they have a fight and then there is a gunshot and suddenly the human who was tackling kendall is now in fact a body yes it's an amazing transition yeah it's magic before your very eyes because he has killed himself he is he shot himself with his gun after a brief struggle magnum might have also shot him a little bit it's unclear who shot who yeah but but it is clear who's who's now a body and that's this guy that guy's dead and the other guy who got knocked out is now conscious somewhere and yeah just not out. there he's gone and so kathleen and i are watching this and we're thinking hey 
hey, we haven't had a murder without consequence in a while. Hard cut to consequence. Magnum's in jail. This is the only time I think this has ever happened in two entire seasons. Magnum must be thinking to himself, what is this building? I've never been in here before. He's killed like four people at this point. He killed someone in an airport bathroom and got away with it. Rick is there telling Magnum that Rick's buddy can't get Magnum out and that he's pulled all the strings he can. He's called in all the favors and Magnum is not moving. And Magnum says, that's weird. That means this is coming from really high up. And then the guard comes and lets them both out. And Magnum's understandably confused. Murder with brief consequences. Turns out it was Higgins who let Magnum out because Robin Masters called in a favor because apparently it's very it's no sure why not yeah robin it's, master's lawyer called in a favor because the lady who runs the dance troupe contracted robin masters and said help the the bodyguard that you hired to protect kendall did in fact protect kendall because he shot a guy who was trying to attack her but now he's in jail yeah so deus ex master's attorney takes care of it and now magnum's out but very confused and a little suspicious. As Higgins leaves the scene, he threatens Magnum about the camera one, one more time. He basically says, I hope you like the cell, because if I don't get the camera back tomorrow, you're, gonna, you're going back in it. I don't think they can arrest you for <laughs> losing a camera. After getting out of jail, Magnum makes one quick pit stop for like two dozen donuts. And declares. And declares and fritters and jelly donuts, uh, jelly rolls. Oh, jelly rolls. And I really just want donuts right now. But he takes them to... Our friend, Lieutenant McReynolds. Who doesn't want them because he's on a diet. And he does, in fact, look like he's lost a little weight since last time he was on the show. He actually does. He, like, noticeably. Yeah. Yeah. Good for him. Good for Jeff McKay. He's like, Magnum, this is so stupid. Are you seriously trying to bribe me with donuts? And Magnum says, it's not even top secret stuff. I just want you to look up, you know, because obviously you know uh, the names of, you know, like the foreign press people. And this is just a press guy who worked in Moscow. He was an American who worked in Moscow. He's not top secret. I just want, you know, just want you to look him up. His name's Steven. That's literally all I know about him. And McReynolds is eventually like, all right, sure, fine, whatever. And they find out that he is actually... Not just a random press guy. No, he is an American agent. Here's the deal. Kendall was the last person to see Steve alive before he was killed in a car accident. A mysterious car accident? Or was his cover blown and were the Russians onto him? And now they need to find out if the Russians or Kendall knows or anybody knows who steve's contact was because then that could blow their whole spying ring open and that's real bad so they're they're basically using kendall to bring in the kgb guys so they also can find out what got revealed about this guy's contact and cover magnum's getting a much bigger picture of this now so he goes to talk to kendall who is real sweaty because she's been rehearsing but I just sort of noticed that she's sweaty through this whole scene. I mean, it's a good touch. I mean, dancing is hard work. Yeah. And she's trying not to get too much in her own head. And she doesn't actually want to talk to Magnum about this. But he's very insistent that she talk about this Steve guy that she mentioned offhand. And she says, what, this is this guy? And we had a night. It was fun. He said he was going to, he left me a note saying he was going to meet me at the airport the next day. And he never showed up. And, you know, that's the end of it. And he says, well, you were actually the last person to see him alive because he died in a car crash that morning. And I think the KGB is after you. And she says, what? The KGB? The what? The why? What? And she's very confused and can't focus on dancing again. And now Magnum really thinks that there's something much more to this. Not to Kendall, but much more to this whole thing as a whole. And possibly even the other case. So now we go to Elaine Selmeyer's house. If that is her real name. 
Magnum has a theory, which is actually a theory that I came up with, but he's, his theory is a little bit more robust. So he goes to Elaine Selmeyer's house. That's the woman that he's doing the divorce case for on the side. Because something struck him as weird about it, just sort of a little off. The little voice in Magnum's head is telling him that these cases might be related somehow. And it's like, how? Which seems preposterous, but he thinks, I'm happy that I called this, that it might be a diversion to get him away from Kendall Chase. And it's true because he goes to Elaine Selmeyer's house and it is a very nice house. It is a very minimalist house in that it is very empty. There's nothing there. Like, there's nothing in the kitchen cupboards. There's no photos on the walls. It's it's a beautiful house in a wonderful location that is not lived in. He goes to the bedroom. There's a briefcase under the bed with plane tickets and a phone number with a Langley area code. So he picks up the phone, dials the phone number, and the phone says... Hello, you've reached the Central Intelligence Agency. And he hangs up. It's the CIA. So Elaine Selmeyer, if that is her real name, which it probably isn't, but we never find out what her real name is, so it's Elaine, comes home and Magnum confronts her. And she's just like, look, this is very important to the CIA. This is a matter of national security. And he's like, I'm going to go see Kendall now and do my actual job. And she's like, no, I will shoot you. And in fact, fires a warning shot in the wall beside Magnum's head. But because she is, in fact, not a criminal, you can't just kill somebody for no good reason, even if you are in the CIA. And she has to let him go. But she calls into her friends. That he's on the way. Oh, her friends, by the way, are also CIA. And these are the people that were watching Magnum. And the people who deliver the flowers. And in an earlier rehearsal scene, which we glossed over, they put two listening bugs in like the, you know, when you have a stage and you've got like the little panels that flip up so you can pull parts of the stage up. They put earpieces in there so they could hear what was going on in the theater. I think actually the two guys at the beginning with the flowers were the KGB agents. By the way, there's KGB agents and the other guys are the CIA agents. It's it's tough because both pair of guys has a slightly younger looking guy and a slightly older looking guy with gray hair. Okay, so now armed with the big picture, Magnum is like, oh my goodness, I have to go protect Kendall. And then we cut to outside the, wherever they're doing their ballet things, the theater, I guess. The Neil S. Blasdell Center. Oh, excellent. If you are in Honolulu and want to check it out. No. Okay. Anyhow, he's on his way back there. The CIA guys know he's coming, which is a problem for them because they don't want Magnum to interfere with the KGB agents because they want the information the KGB agents are trying to get. Luckily for Kendall, TC is still inside with her, keeping an eye on her. Because she's practicing by herself. She's the only one there. It's her and TC in a giant empty auditorium. The thing is, the CIA agents are like, well, it'll take Magnum too long to get here. That's fine. I know the KGB are on their way. We got to take care of the black guy. Which I think is the only time that TC's actually been referred to as the black guy. I could be wrong. Anyway, they actually wanted to get him out of the way for his own safety. And so that he doesn't muff it for the KGB people because they want they want the KGB to make contact with Kendall. So they go inside. One of them at gunpoint puts TC in a broom closet or something. And then they get back in the truck and start listening as all the house and stage lights go down and just a spotlight comes up on Kendall and the KGB starts questioning her. Uh-oh. But then suddenly a red Ferrari pulls up. Hooray! Magnum is there to save the day. Hooray! Except the, the CIA guys are like, oh no you don't. And try to stop him from entering uh, Ferrari stops and they're like, get out of the car. But then they look confused. Because it's Rick. When did Magnum have time to pick up Rick? I don't. He probably had him meet him. I'm not sure. Anyway, Magnum then rolls up to the back entrance in, I think I think it's the Audi. It's actually a Mercedes. 
Where did he get this? Robin's Nest? Guess? No, no, he's he's driving a, a tan convertible Mercedes. Huh. Maybe All he right. stole it from the King Kamehameha Club. Sure. Why not? And he runs inside, where now one of the KGB agents is holding Kendall on the stage with her face down to the stage, pulling one of her legs up in the air with a knife pressed to her ankle and basically threatening to slice her hamstring if she doesn't tell them what they want to know. And she's like, I have no idea what's going on. She initially says that she has no idea. She's never heard of anyone named Stephen, whoever, whatever his last name actually was, which of course is a lie. But they want to know where he was going that day. Because basically, if he told her where he was going, that will reveal his contact. Because they know that he was an agent, but they don't know what he knows or how far it goes. Luckily for her, she doesn't know either. And she's saying, I think he went to one of the ministries. It was the Ministry of Culture, I think. No, Agriculture. It was the Ministry of Agriculture. That's what it was. So they, they, they get that out of her. And then Magnum shows up with a gun. And then they skedaddle, essentially. Yeah, well, because he's aiming at the guy standing in the spotlight with her, and then they kill the spotlight. And then Magnum obviously can't see him, and then all the lights come up, and they're gone. So he's there, she's rattled. and the, Understandably. Yeah, and the CIA guys show up, and Magnum's like, well, did you catch them? And they say, the KGB guys weren't the target. So cold. She's super rattled at this. However, put yourself in your in her shoes. Don't pretend you're a dancer. Pretend suddenly yeah, I, I wouldn't be able to fit in her shoes. Weird, like a size 14 men's or something? Yeah. Yeah, she's maybe a six. Anyhow, out of nowhere, two KGB agents come by and they're like, all right, Mr. Video Dude, you make films for a living. If you don't tell us what we want to know, we're gouging out your eyes. That's yeah. rattling. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I just want our listeners to understand. Okay, whatever it is that you do, say, imagine a KGB guy comes up to your place of work and holds you down and threatens to gouge out whatever it is you use for your job. For me, that would be like, we're going to amputate both your middle fingers. And I'll be like, no, how will I flip the bird? How will I double deuce? It's a terrifying thought, Kathleen. I know. So what does the CIA mean when they say that the KGB guys were not the target? Kendall was the target. I mean, insofar as they also needed to know that Stephen hadn't spilled his cover. And they are satisfied. Which is ridiculous. Could, couldn't they just have asked her? They needed to make sure she wasn't lying, I guess. They didn't put her under duress. They didn't basically torture her. They just let the KGB do it. Yeah, this seems really dumb. It's pretty weird. I mean, it's an exciting episode because no, like the CIA no, I, and the yeah, KGB and the international espionage, but like... TC lets himself out of the broom closet somehow. I feel like he just busts his way out. Probably. But it takes him a while. And no one has to go to jail. No, it, we, it was briefly murders without consequences, then it switched to murders with consequences, and now it's murders without consequences again. Yeah, so you still get to add one to that list. And Kendall decides that she's actually going to be sort of out of the tour. She's going to take a six-month break. And find out who Kendall Chase really is. Aside from her great 80s name. Her thing is basically how much of her self-worth is tied into being a dancer, and maybe that's not healthy? Maybe don't make your job all that you are, right? Maybe don't let that be your the entirety of who you are as a person. It's surprisingly mature for somebody who gets enraged when you say they walk like a duck. It must have been that restorative mustache kiss that made her so smart. <laughs> God damn it. I'm not letting that scene go. It's dumb. It's really dumb. It's not a good scene in an otherwise pretty good episode. So then, of course, we have to have the lighthearted outro, which is Rick has found a matching camera and lens kit for Magnum that instead of $3,600, only costs $1,700, which is still a real kick in the balls. 
uh, yes. And Maggie was like, is it hot? And Rick is like, come on. What? No. No. What? What? Why would? No. no. Why would you say it was? What are you talking about? What I'm saying is he doesn't do a really good job of hiding the fact this might be hot. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it, man. And then Higgins comes in and he's like all prepared to yell at Magnum. He's like, oh, oh, it's the camera and the lens kit I've kept hassling you about. Oh, I guess you were just busy on this really serious case that involved the CIA and the KGB. And oh, that's really good that you found that lens because I thought Robin Masters had lost it. I guess he must have replaced it and not told me about it because he, uh, he definitely lost that lens like six months ago. Anyway, thanks, Magnum. Bye. We sort of fade out as he's muttering $1,700 to himself, but silently, but you could read his lips. So, Kathleen. Yes. What do you think of the episode overall? I actually quite like this episode. It's a lot better than the past several episodes we've seen. I give this episode an eight. Are my standards lowering that much? Am I just like, it only had one stupid cringeworthy scene. Fantastic. Yeah, I agree. I, I didn't like that one scene because it made no sense for how they had established Kendall's character and that her character was basically required by plot contrivances to be nice and cooperative for the third act, then she should have been like that in the first act. You can still be nice and cooperative and be super serious and brusque about your career. You you can be both of those things. I mean, you know what they could have done is, this is my little rewrite suggestion. Fleshed out the character more? I mean, they could have fleshed out the character more, but let's say we just want to make an extremely minor change. Lose the whole pushing and shoving and kissing thing and have the change of character come about because Magnum legitimately saves her from almost being straight up murdered by two mysterious people and she realizes that she has to work with him and share information with him. Yeah, wouldn't that have been a clever idea? I just think it's a lot more believable. Yeah. Occam's razor. And then Aspiring Magnum, writers. Then just Magnum doesn't have to like put a kiss on her. The magical mustache spell of 1981. Blah. Speaking of magical, next week's episode is called Ghost Rider. Are ghosts magic? Are they not? No. If ghosts aren't magic, what are they? Not real. Oh, wait, magic's not real. I get where you're going with this now. Thank you. Ha-ha. Also, it's, a ghost writer is a real thing that's not actually a ghost. Well, and not actually magical. I'm just saying I don't think the next episode is about ghosts. Hooray. Okay, we're good. We got there, everybody. All right, cool. So stay tuned for that next week. And uh, as always, the Magnum Rewatch podcast is brought to you by you and your kind patronage of our Patreon at patreon.com slash loadingreadyrun that supports, of course, not only the Magnum Rewatch podcast, but many other things that we do. So check that out if you aren't already. And if you are, well, thank you so much. And until next time, Zeus, Apollo, go and get me the freshest of vegetables. Hey, Graham, I think we need to have a little post-end credit chat here. Okay. The quality of this season of Magnum has not been good. Yeah, if season one had been like this, I don't think it would have been as well received. Season one was definitely better overall. Yeah, but what I'm really concerned about is how many episodes has it been since we saw Zeus and Apollo? Um, They were in Mad Buck Gibson, weren't they? Yes. So, two. They, They weren't in the taking of Dick McWilliams, but they were in the one prior. Okay. Aside from Mad Buck Gibson, because the less said about that episode, the better. They haven't shown up as much this season. This is a lack of quality. There's no puppies. We're looking for a high ZA saturation. Anything higher than 0.0%, which is what we're running right now on the past two episodes. Hmm. I don't know what you want me to do about it. I mean, I would accept if they wanted to put two cats in the place of Zeus and Apollo. Uh, Yeah, okay. 
I don't think I can change that now, though. I mean, I'm not dis- I'm not necessarily disagreeing with you, but... Like, how great would it be if there was, instead of Zeus and Apollo, it was like two fluffy Maine coons named Hephaestus and Ares, and Higgins was like, smaller lads, lick. And they were like, well, maybe I just want more cats. Okay, we got there. <laughs>